The spiritual and self-help community has created a brand new devil, and it's called stress. If you've gone to a self-help seminar, if you've read the books, if you've listened to people on their podcasts, yes, including me, a lot of us have told you over the years how stress should be avoided. That if you're bathing in those stress hormones of cortisol, that you're wearing down your immune system, and eventually it could kill you. If not physically, then at least kill your relationships and your sense of happiness. And because we've lived by this message for so many years, people have been seeking answers. All of a sudden, weighted blankets have become a $20 million industry. CBD oil is projected to be a $5 billion industry by 2023 as people are looking for ways to deal with the stress in their life. Yet there's also new studies out there that suggest stress can actually be your friend and can actually move you forward. I have so much info to share with you this week, including some fascinating studies about how stress is not the real threat in your life. We'll tell you what that is, and we're going to give you four strategies to make stress your new BFF. Welcome to episode 109 of Life Amplified. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful, but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Over the weekend, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole. I came across a TED Talk from Kelly McGonigal, who is one of the program developers for Stanford Center for Compassion and Altruism Research. Her TED Talk, How to Make Stress Your Friend, has over 23 million views. And I want to share some of the clips notes of that presentation. She speaks about a study that happened in the early 2010s. 30,000 adults were surveyed over the course of eight years. They were asked only two questions. Number one, how much stress have you experienced in the last 12 months? And they were asked if they believe stress is harmful for their health. They took all the data. They compared those answers against the public death records to see who died. And here are the results. People who experienced high stress had a 43% higher risk of death. No surprise there and pretty much in line with everything that you've heard from people like me and other self-help experts over the years. But here's the catch. That statistic I just gave you was only true for people who believe that stress is harmful. In fact, people with high levels of stress, but a belief that stress doesn't harm them, were no more likely to die than people who claim that they had no stress in their lives at all. So check this out. Over the eight-year study, 182,000 people died prematurely, not from stress, but from the belief that stress is bad. This actually makes our beliefs about stress the 15th biggest killer higher than skin cancer, HIV, AIDS, and homicide. So while the statistics were surprising, it still does lead to one of the core beliefs that I teach to my clients and one of the things that we've talked about here on the Life Amplified podcast, which is this. The most important question that you can ask yourself on a daily basis when encountering any setback, any challenge, is what am I making this mean? Events in our lives are neutral. 
And to some degree, we have very little control over the events that happen to us in our lives. However, the meaning that we assign to those events is 100% our responsibility, and the meaning that we give to stress or any challenge will dictate our emotional state. And typically, our emotional state drives our behavior. If you're a person who experiences a fair amount of stress, but you believe it's bad, if you believe that stress is just further evidence that nothing works out for you, if the universe is conspiring against you, what are you likely to do? You're going to look for coping devices, and most of those coping mechanisms probably won't be healthy. You'll cope by drinking too much alcohol. You might go to drugs. You might use food as a device. And it would stand to reason that those habits compounded over time, in addition to the stress response in the body, could lead to premature death. And we talked about this just a couple episodes back on the podcast with those four keys to reimagining happiness. One of them was your life philosophy, which is really about what is the meaning that you assign to the events of your life? Because meaning will influence your biochemistry. It will influence your psychology, your health, and your destiny. But let's get back to the meaning that you assign to stress and how it affects your performance and how it affects your health. Because Harvard did a follow-up study on this. Social experiments where they put people in stressful situations. They took a group of people and made them give a presentation about their biggest personal flaws in front of a group of strangers. Now, half of that sample was given no preparation on how to reinterpret or assign a new meaning to their stress. But the other half was taught how to interpret stress in a positive way. They were told, hey, you're having a higher elevated heartbeat. That just means that your body is generating energy to put you into a peak state. They were told, hey, you're excessively sweating. It's no big deal. It just means that your body is excited about the challenge in front of you. Then they monitored the cardiovascular activity of all the people in the study. Now, here's what they discovered. One of the biggest biomarkers that happens when we're experiencing prolonged stress is that our blood vessels literally begin to contract. This is what will lead to a cardiovascular event, whether it be a heart attack or a stroke. However, the people who were prepped to interpret stress in a positive way, their blood vessels stayed relaxed. They didn't constrict. In fact, their bodies behave the same way as other people who were experiencing states of joy and courage. So one simple shift in interpretation or meaning or context was the difference between possibly having a stress-induced stroke and people living healthy into their 90s. I love this research because it reinforces everything that I teach, that your mindset trumps everything else. So many people come to a coach looking for strategies for success. How can I be more successful financially? How can I be more successful in my career? And of course, whether it be me or another coach that you work with, yeah, we can give you strategies all day long, but strategy will never work unless your mindset is aligned and, and able to create the thing that you desire. Here is another great benefit of stress as taught by Kelly McGonigal in this online TED Talk. She says stress actually makes us social. We're all familiar with the hormone oxytocin. 
gets a great rap. It's one of the most beloved hormones out there, right? It has a really good publicist because we know it is the chemical that gets released when we are physically touching other people. It's known as the cuddle hormone, but it turns out oxytocin is also a stress response that gets released into the body whenever we're triggered by stress. Why? The oxytocin is actually a bio-trigger to make us go seek support and connection. Oxytocin builds empathy. It allows us to ask for help. It allows us to tell somebody when we're struggling, but to also notice when other people are doing the same. So during times of stress, the body is just reminding us that at a DNA level, we're not meant to go through tough times alone. And we've seen this played out over the course of the last 20 years during any time of tragedy. 9-11, what happened? People came together. As a country, we looked out for one another. I know that there's a lot of people who really miss that feeling of togetherness and unity and patriotism that we all felt during 9-11. I happened to live in the city of Boston during the marathon bombing several years ago. And when Boylston Street shut down, and nobody could take the tea back to get home. And, you know, public transportation and taxi cabs weren't able to get into the city. I witnessed firsthand people coming out of their apartments and lining the streets, bringing orange juice and paper cups to random strangers, inviting strangers to come relax in their home while all the craziness was going on in the city. There was an incredibly stressful event that triggered a life-threatening response. And what happened? Everybody in the city of Boston came together. They were seeking support. People were loving one another. That is oxytocin in action. But oxytocin, when it gets released, actually protects our cardiovascular system. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. So the more that we can experience connection with other people during difficult times, the healthier our bodies will be. And as I interpret all this research through the lens of my coaching practice— and so many of the foundations that we talk about every week here on the podcast, it's easy for me to see why so many people suffer during times of stress instead of thriving. Think about it. What is the thing that's going to keep you from seeking support during any time of difficulty in your life? Well, a lot of it's going to go back to your attachment patterns and how you learn to get your needs met as a child. People with avoidant attachments are going to be hesitant to reach out for help because when they were children, they cried out and nobody came. So the belief becomes as an adult, well, if I ask for help, nobody's going to show up for me. I'm going to re-trigger my deepest childhood wounds. Then you have our friends with anxious attachments. They're the ones who had an inconsistent response to their needs growing up, and they're worried to speak out and ask for help because they're afraid that they're going to be a burden. They're afraid that they're going to be perceived as weak in the workplace or in their social group. So it's two sides of the same coin. Your attachment style is one of the things that's going to keep you from reaching out to have that connection, to have that oxytocin hit to literally heal your body during times of stress. So we also want to look, what are the real underlying factors that influence the meaning that we assign to events? Who are the people that can look at stress as being a positive thing or at least not being a barrier to their health versus the people who are overwhelmed by stress? Well, a lot of that's going to relate to your trauma history. 
we have to start to look at what are the stories that you're telling yourself during times of stress, that you're an island, that nothing ever works out for you, that you're destined to be alone, that you can't trust other people, nobody works as hard as I do, all those responses and stories that we go to, which are just patterns of thought that we've usually rehearsed and they show up in many areas of our life. They can show up in our career. They can show up in our romantic and personal relationships. It certainly gets re-triggered every time that we're around our family. But all of those stories are pointing us in the direction of unhealed emotional trauma that is just waiting to be addressed. So one of the keys to healing your relationship with stress is to identify and overcome your unhealed emotional and attachment trauma from childhood, which is pretty much at the foundation of all of my coaching programs. Now, I want to be very clear. We're talking here about the difference between good stress and bad stress. In the mental health world, they would call this acute stress versus chronic stress. I am not here today to glorify suffering (laughs) and to tell you that suffering over time is good for you. You know, there are times when stress helps us grow, when we have to meet a deadline, when we have to face a fear to get up in public speak, when we have to put ourselves out there and ask for our needs in a relationship or ask for help at work. These are things that are expansive for us that help us move forward. There's also the bad stress, which is I'm in an abusive work environment. You know, I work for Harvey Weinstein or somebody like him, and I do not feel safe. That stress is something we absolutely need to avoid at all costs because it's not really stress. At the end of the day, it's abuse. The second point that I want to bring up just for clarification is we're not talking about living in a stress response and pushing yourself past your comfort zone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That becomes unsustainable over time. What we're really talking about are moments of intensity and moments of recovery. Because the more that we can face challenges in our life, the more that we can face stressful situations and transcend them, what we're really doing is building emotional resilience, which is the key to an amplified life. It's being able to meet the challenges of the day head on and not be knocked off course. It's being able to weather the storm. How do we build that emotional resilience? Well, you would do it the same way you build a physical muscle in your body. When you go to the gym, what do you do? You push yourself with the weights. You take on a heavier weight. You do the reps until your arms are shaking and you feel like that bar with the weights on it is ready to crash down into your chest, but you push through. And then what you do after the workout is there is a period of rest and recovery. You wouldn't be powerlifting heavy weights seven days a week. At that point, you would overtrain. You would do damage to your body. So there's moments of intensity. And then through rest, we build physical muscle that helps us recover. Well, resilience is essentially emotional muscle that we're putting on. So we face a new challenge. We do uncomfortable things that we've been avoiding. We put ourselves out there in a new way. We follow our purpose. We face that stress, but then there's also a period of recovery. 
There was a very famous chess player by the name of Josh Waitzkin. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, He wrote a book called The Art of Learning, and he says, if you're interested in really improving as a performer, I would suggest incorporating the rhythm of stress and recovery into all aspects of your life. And the key here is you have to identify what is the right amount of stress that you can tolerate at a given time. Because if you have too much stress, that can cause physical harm to your body. But at the same time, too much rest leads to complacency. You never really grow. There's a lot of people in their career who come to me unfulfilled because they've been stuck in that comfort zone too long. They're saying, well, Dan, I don't know if I can really go pivot and do this dream career that I've always thought about. I don't know if I can start my own business because what if I fail? So they're avoiding the stress of facing the challenge So they never really move forward. And then what happens is life becomes boring. It becomes predictable and they get complacent, cash in very comfortable paychecks, but they don't feel challenged beyond where they're at. So they fall into that level of complacency. Meanwhile, if you look at just the structure of corporations, particularly in America, it's all driven by that masculine energy need for stress, 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 go, 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 achieve, 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 with not a lot of value on rest and recovery. So this is why so many people end up burning out in their job. So we're talking about two extremes here, but the sweet spot is in the middle, right? Pushing yourself beyond your window of tolerance, then stepping back, letting your body rest, recuperate, gain new inspiration, new aha moments, and then move forward into the next stressful period. One last point that I want to share with you from the research that Kelly McGonigal did, and we're going to go back and talk about meaning here, but in a different way. People who face stress on a regular basis, but the stress was somehow in service of other people, that they were allowing themselves to somehow contribute to the greater good, that they were showing up for something bigger than themselves, also avoided the health risks associated with bad stress. People who were just taking on stress for the sake of having it, but they had no real meaning or a why for why they were tackling that stress, 30% higher premature death rate. Meanwhile, the people who did face stress, but it allowed them to care for others, it allowed them to contribute beyond themselves, they had no higher incidence of death. One of my clients in my eight-week accelerator program had a beautiful question recently. She asked me, what is the difference between serving others and feeling obligated to save other people. And I think that's a really important distinction. There is somebody listening to this podcast today. You're like, well, I serve people all the time, but yet you feel terrible about it because you feel over-responsible to save members of your family or over-responsible for your friend who is always in crisis. In fact, they might even be showing up with like a certain level of helplessness, waiting for you to fix their problems. And the energy of that never feels good to us because most of the time we're either showing up trying to force them to change when they don't want to, so it leads to frustration, or We're afraid if we don't become over-responsible to take care of other people that they'll reject us, that they'll push us away. So the energy of that service feels very heavy. I'm talking about being aligned with your purpose 
and then showing up because when you're connected to your purpose, you're connected to yourself first and foremost, your gifts, the things that matter to you, and you're able to serve others. And the energy around that tends to feel much lighter. There's not a lot of stress associated with that. It feels good when you are waking up each day in your purpose. So as we talk about how to make stress your BFF, there's really four components to recap. Number one, we want to look at the story that you have about stress. If you believe that your stress is harmful, your body will listen and follow your lead. If you believe that your stress is healthy, your body will follow your lead there too. And remember, if you've got some disempowered stories around the stress you're carrying, those are usually about unhealed trauma patterns from childhood. And you've got some blind spots there where you really need some coaching to break through. Number two, we want to look at the support that you're allowing in. Oxytocin is also a stress response. Our body is actually pushing us to seek support from other people. Nobody is an island and nobody gets through the hard times alone. So start to consider where are the places that you're trying to force yourself through by willpower, by sheer force of will. And could your body be trying to get you to take a new approach? Number three, we want to walk that high wire between periods of intensity where we're pushed beyond our window of tolerance for stress, but then also incorporating times of recovery. Remember, too much intensity, you're wearing down your immune system. Too much recovery, that's just laziness and complacency. So really staying in that sweet spot and knowing where it exists for you. And number four, service. Making sure that the stressors in your life are allowing you to connect to yourself, your purpose, your gifts, your talents, but also something bigger than you. When we're showing up from the highest parts of ourselves, using the best of us to give to improve the lives of others, then stress has no long-term power over us. So those are four points to keep in mind. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me today. Remember, this podcast possibly more so than any podcast I've ever recorded, could be the one that saves your life. When you change the meaning that you're assigning to your stress, your body is physically changing to align with that belief. You have the power, my friend. You are not a passive person in your life. You are not a victim. But if you have some stories that are getting in the way of integrating that, it would be my honor to serve you and help you move forward. You can go to my website, for more information about one-on-one VIP coaching or any of my group coaching programs, we're going to be launching a brand new eight-week accelerator group program in the month of August. You can get on the waiting list for that if you reach out to me on the website, creativesoulcoaching.net. And if this episode serves you, be sure to screenshot it, upload it to Instagram. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason, and I'll be sure to respond to each and every person who reaches out. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.